So, what happened to you, episode one? Me. I met um, my friend. I'm going to leave the names anonymous because he and I, you know, he was my best friend. And um, we're actually still friends. Um, I'll get into that later, but I'm going to start from the beginning. We'll call him Jamie. And so, Jamie and I met when we were about six. We were both soccer players and we lived pretty close to each other. We played on the same soccer team and we met just through sports. And so he and I like immediately hit it off. We both just liked a lot of the same stuff. And so we naturally started having play dates and spending time together and really enjoying each other's company. And um, there's a misconception with child molestation that a lot of people, I think, believe, which is that it just starts sort of randomly. And in most cases, that's not true. Most of the time, there's a phase before the actual molestation happens, which is called the grooming phase. And the grooming phase is basically where the molester tries to get close with the victim. There's a bunch of different things that happen in the grooming phase, but that's the gist of it. It's basically making um, the victim feel comfortable around you and making the victim want to be around you. And in my experience, what that consisted of was basically creating an environment at his house, Jamie's house, that was extremely fun for kids. For example, when we would go over to Jamie's house, we could literally do anything. We could play video games for as long as we wanted. And that was a big deal because at my house, I was only allowed to play an hour of video games a day which in my head was bullshit at the time. So I was, and I remember like getting mad at my parents and I mean, literally being like, why can't we go to like at Jamie's house? We can do whatever the Jamie's house. We're allowed to play as long as we want. And we were allowed to play whatever video games we wanted. I wasn't allowed to own T rated games because I was, you know, six, seven, eight. Uh, I wasn't a teenager. But at Jamie's house, we could do it all, whatever it was. James Bond, Nightfire, phenomenal game. Basically, we could, we could just be kids there without any restrictions. We could stay up as late as we wanted. And that's, that's what part of the grooming phase is, 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 is creating that environment that kids want to be in. And creating a rapport with the kids. Uh, I remember, like, just never wanting to leave. In part because I really liked Jamie, obviously, and and didn't want to not be around him. But also just because it was more fun to be there than at my home. And these are all things that the molester is aware of. He's creating an environment that is extremely fun and also 
very uh, irresponsible and wrong in many ways. Like before any of the molestation happened, we would go on this site called funnyjunk.com, which was sort of like, this is, I mean, this is a long time ago, but I think it's still around. But at the time, it was basically like Reddit for, it was like a less sophisticated version of Reddit with like memes and like softcore porn. And it was my first exposure to this kind of stuff. And I remember watching it with Jamie and some of our other friends. And um, Jamie's dad was the one who was showing it to us. And he would stand behind us while we were looking at this stuff and I remember in my head at the time being like, wow, this is so cool. Like, he just wants to hang out with us. Like, he's one of the guys. You know, he doesn't restrict uh, what we do. Like, he gets us. Clearly didn't have a grasp of what was going on. But at the time, I didn't know any better. And I thought that that was pretty cool that we were allowed to do whatever we wanted. So, in addition to making a uh, making their homes fun to be at, molesters are also very strategic about how they pick their victims. They tend to pick people who are vulnerable, needless to say, people who they think aren't going to say something. And I think the reason that he picked me was because um, I was an only child. And I, I desperately liked being around people. Like I needed to be around friends because I was like a really social kid, but I didn't have any siblings to hang out with. So I was basically always down to hang out with Jamie. And I think being an only child also made me really want to have a best friend. And I remember like literally in my head competing with my other friends for Jamie's like best friend title. Like, <laughs> like I remember any time that I wasn't at Jamie's house and other kids were there, I thought that they were getting closer with Jamie and Jamie was going to say that they were his best friends or um, just, you know, crazy kid thoughts that are... The like life and death at the time. Like if I, I I remember feeling like if he likes a different friend more than me, I, I there's nothing worse in my head than that happening. So these are all things that I'm sure Jamie's dad was aware of. It's very methodical. It's very calculated. And once so, these are all part of the grooming phase. And once they find a kid that they think is a good prospect, um, what tends to happen next is slow, gradual buildup to the actual molestation. And what what that consisted of for me was, so Jamie and I would play in these early morning soccer games and we'd like to have sleepovers the night before, and then we would drive to the game. One of our parents would drive to the game uh, with us, and it was super fun. And so we would have a bunch of sleepovers basically before every game. And 
Um, it started out with uh, Jamie's dad would come into the room and um, basically just try to wake us up. But it was wake, it was waking me up first, and that just started with poking, like poking on the shoulder, um, you know, various different physical touches that are playful and not sexual <clears throat> initially that make the kid feel like it's like breaking the physical barrier like okay this guy's touching me and he means it in a friendly fun way and so that's how it started and i remember when he when i would wake up uh he would say things like oh like like basically like you win like he turned it into a game where if I woke up from him poking me, then I would win the game. And if I didn't wake up, he would win the game. So again, I'm like seven at this point. So I'm like, ah, games, awesome. So I was on board. Hell yeah. I was winning that game. And the game slowly progressed with each night to becoming more and more sexual it started with like he would just poke me in different places until it got to the point where he was poking my dick and i i remember like when this started happening was like around the same time that i started getting boners for the first time so i would get i would like have a morning wood and he would you know poke it to try to wake me up and I remember feeling embarrassed but also being like ah it's just a game like it's okay and then that evolved into what he would coin the term as the wiggle game so he I mean I was basically getting boners every single morning so it, whenever I slept over there I would have a boner when I would wake up and he would come over and wiggle it so that was the point where in my head I was like, I don't like this. Um, I don't really know what's going on. I know that this is a game and it's a game that I agreed to play. Not really, but in my head I was like, well, I didn't say no. So now like, once you don't say no initially, it's really hard to say no. Um, so that was sort of how it all started. And in my head, I remember feeling like, okay, I, I don't want this to happen, but I also don't want him to be mad at me. I don't want Jamie to be mad at me. I don't want anybody to know about this. Yeah, so it's just insanely confusing and so difficult to process at the time. But anyway, that was the beginning. And then once that was established that now he knows that I'm not going to say something when he's wiggling my dick, that's when he now feels comfortable doing more than that. So... Basically what happened next was he would come into the room and just full on 
you know, grab my dick without the game. It no longer was a game. He would just come in, you know, late at night and wasn't, was very much not trying to wake me up. And I remember at the time thinking to myself, like, why, like, why isn't anybody waking up? Like, this guy's in our room. And he was obviously very discreet about it. He was quiet. He wasn't trying to wake anybody up. But I, I felt like if I, if I said anything, it would be, I don't know. It was just embarrassing. And you felt, I felt sort of like paralyzed, like immobilized. I couldn't get out of the situation. So things continued to escalate. He would go under my boxers or whatever I was sleeping in, full skin-to-skin contact. And it was, al- it was always when we were at Jamie's house, obviously. Um, and he would just lay next to the bed and do it. Um, So this went on for about two years, about just over a year and a half. It was like two years of buildup, basically. The wiggle game went on for probably a year, I think. And then two years of like, you know, child molestation. Not that it wasn't before, but more aggressive molestation. So... Uh, I remember the first time that I actually heard the word molestation was we were at a, we, they had a cabin, Jamie's family had a cabin and we would go up there and it was so fun. We would, you know, they had a hot tub and we would just play Mario Kart all the time. It was amazing. And one time I went up there with Jamie and his dad and it was just us three and Jamie and I were sleeping and this was the first time that he actually got into bed um he got in between us and was like you know molesting me more so than he had before I never he never like touched he never had me touch him or did anything other than grab my dick but this was like I mean, he was like laying next to us. And I remember in my head just being like, Jamie, wake up, dude. There's a man in the bed. What are you? (laughs) But part of me wonders if, well, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think he, I think Jamie's dad might've been molesting him as well. And if that's true, then I would totally get why he wouldn't say anything because it normalizes it. If it's happening to somebody else, it's not happening to you. I think it would probably make it easier to deal with. But even if he wasn't molesting him, that's not something that you want to deal with. Like, I'm pretty sure he could have inferred what was going on. Why is his dad sleeping in the bed with us? So anyway, that was the first time where I actually said something. Um, while he was molesting me, I remember in my head just being like, I, I cannot take this anymore. And so I said, 
please stop out loud audibly while Jamie was sleeping. This guy was in between us and um, he did. He didn't say a word and just got up out of bed and left. And I remember like my heart was just furiously beating. I couldn't, I mean, I kind of thought like he was gonna hurt me. I mean, I, I did. Um, I didn't know what was gonna happen, but in that moment, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like this is too much. So went back to sleep and the next day we, it was snowing. I think it was like in December and we went to have a snowball fight and it was me and Jamie versus his dad. And he was throwing snowballs at us and we had built like, we had these sleds that we'd stuck into the snow and we were hiding behind them. And uh, he was like, he, he like yelled at us. He was like, oh, you guys are being chickens. Like, what are you afraid of the gay molester? And he said that to us. I believe the exact quote was, uh, the gay molester strikes again. Fucking weird. And I, I didn't know what that meant, but I, but I knew what had happened. And I think I sort of connected the dots. But he literally admitted to being a gay molester with Jamie there. And I just, and I, and I didn't know what to do. Um, it's all just such a mind fuck. But I remember, I remember being like, what? Cause he was like kind of far away from us. And I was like, what? Like, what did you say? Not like, like what? Like, but, but just genuinely like confused and just like, what the fuck? What is, what is, what is going on? And he was like, don't you remember? Please stop. And I was like, what? Why? Why? Why is this guy doing this? Why? It seems like it's something that he didn't want anybody to know. And now he's saying it in front of Jamie. And it, it, what it, in retrospect, what it feels like is he was trying to show me that even if Jamie knew like, even if I told people, it wouldn't matter. Like, like, I didn't need to... Me saying, please stop, wasn't gonna stop. Even though we stopped physically last night, he had no fear of people knowing about it. Or at least Jamie knowing about it. Which, again, makes me think that Jamie was probably getting molested too. Which is an even harder situation than your own dad. I don't, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but, um, yeah. So that was, that was sort of the turning point in, in my head of like, okay, well now I can have this guy stop. I can just say stop and presumably he'll stop. But I could tell that he was he was angry. I mean, I could. You, it was so palpable in the way. I mean, he was the gay molester strikes again. Like what the? 
so I think we left that day and we went back and things just sort of went on. I think he molested me one or two more times after that. I can't exactly remember, but um, this is another thing that I want to talk about before moving on to this story is recounting trauma is extremely difficult to do. And it, it's a thing that all victims deal with, especially when the abuse is over a number of years. It's like, um, like you shouldn't, you, you're not going to be able to remember any, everything. Like I had so much suppressed, I'll get into this later, but um, basically uh, when we went to court, which eventually happened, I forgot completely about the wiggle game which was just, it was just suppressed memories. It was just something that I didn't want to think about. So yeah, it's, it's important to realize that victims are not going to have, you know, perfect memories about all of the instances where they got abused. Like for example, in the Michael Jackson case, the, one of the main things that people who think he's innocent are harping on is that James Safechuck and um, Wade Robson, I, I think it was, I think it was Safe Chuck who said that he, he and Michael had sex in the train station, uh, in whatever year, but it turns out the train station wasn't built until the next year. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, the only people that know are the victims and the molesters. But if he, it was over like an eight year time span. If he got one year wrong on that, that should not be surprising. It would probably honestly be weirder if everything lined up perfectly. But I just think that it's important for people to realize, especially if you haven't gone through trauma, that recounting trauma is very hard to do. And it's not surprising that the dates don't line up perfectly. Um, just something to take into account. So, moving on. This guy basically wasn't gonna stop. Um, I knew that. I knew that after the you know after I said please stop, and he did stop that night. But then he you know, kept going on other sleepovers. And so, um, at this point, now I know, I know in my head, this is wrong. I don't know how to tell people about it. I don't know what to do about it, but I know that I don't want it to be going on anymore. But I also know that like, this is, I know that if I say something that I won't be able to be friends with Jamie anymore, um, I'll have to tell people about it. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I didn't feel like I could say anything just because I was young. I just didn't know what was going on. Um, <laughs> and I remember, I remember this is, this is the logic. This is child logic. I remember feeling like if I said something, so Basically, now I'm like toying with the idea. I'm playing with the idea of telling somebody, probably my parents. And 
I remember thinking to myself, if I tell them and they ask him about it, he's going to say, yeah, I did it. I, I, I touched Sebastian, but he had a boner during a lot of the times. Like, he liked it. And I thought that people would hear that and be like, oh, dude, like, what? you were into that? That's so weird. Like, I thought people were just going to let him off the hook because he said that I had boners. And it didn't even occur to me that he could deny what happened. Because I didn't, I, I wasn't old enough yet to understand that people would do that. So that was part of my logic for not saying anything for so long is that I, th- I thought that people would just be like, oh, like, this kid's, this kid's gay. Like, what a weirdo. And so just perfect example of the ridiculous logic of an eight to 10 year old. So for all of those reasons, I didn't say anything for a long time. And the, the day that I did, well, not the day that I did, but the day that sort of set me off was, um, Jamie and I were playing, uh, with another one of our friends, we were playing basketball and we like wrestled a lot. This is another thing that I forgot to mention is that we would do a lot of wrestling with, each other and Jamie's dad. Um, Like we have video. (laughs) It's so gross watching it now in retrospect, but we have video of his dad wrestling with the two of us. And, you know, looking at it now, it's just like so gross to watch. But um, that's all part of it is normalizing touch, normalizing physical contact. And, um, Basically, we were playing basketball outside, and it was me versus the the Jamie and the other guy. And um, I was a year older than Jamie, but Jamie was, like, really sick at soccer, and so he was playing up a year. So, but I was physically bigger than him and the other guy. So they were on the same team, and we were playing basketball. And um, his dad had molested me the night before. So we were playing basketball, and I remember getting into an argument with Jamie, and basically we just started wrestling, and it started off kind of playful, and then something switched in my mind, and I was like, like, get off of me, like, I don't want, it's like, stop, like, I remember just feeling like so ganged up on, which is a big thing at the time, like, I hated when people were ganging up on me, and basically they, like, pinned me down, and were like you know, like tickling me. It wasn't, it wasn't malicious. They weren't trying to hurt me, but in my mind, I was just like, I have had enough of this. And Jamie's dad came out and was basically just laughing. And I was like, stop, like, please stop. Like, and I think, I think for him, he wanted me to feel that feeling of like, I, like I couldn't get help. Like I, I couldn't get out of the situation, um, like the futility of it. Like even when I say stop, you're not. I mean, this might just be overthinking it. I don't know. He might have just been happy to watch a bunch of little boys wrestling, but he didn't do anything. And I started crying, and I was like so mad and sad and hurt 
And I was mad at Jamie because he was just being a dick to me. And like, basically for the first time, my mindset shifted from wanting to preserve this friendship to wanting to get out of the situation that I was in. And so I was, I, I, I was like, I want to call my mom. Once they got off of me, I was like, I want to, I want to go home. And this is when Jamie's dad flipped a switch and basically registered what was going on. He recognized that this, this is bad because I'm in a state where I'm extremely emotional, vulnerable, scared, angry, confused, everything. And so he starts literally begging me to not call my mom. And I just don't give a shit. Like, I'm just like, I'm out of here, dude. I don't care. So I called my mom crying. And, uh, and I was just like, come get me, please. And she came and picked me up. And Jamie's dad, when, when, she, when I got in the car, he came out and was like, Debbie, like, I'm, Debbie's my mom's name. He was like, Debbie, I'm so sorry. Like, can we just talk about this really quickly? And I was literally to my mom, I was like, mom, drive. Like, we're, we're out of here. Like, fuck this. I didn't say that at the time. I don't even, I didn't even know what swear words were really. But, um, I, and so she, she was just like, we'll, we'll talk later. And so we drove and I remember, <laughs> I remember this feeling in the car of relief in a weird way. Like I felt like I was safe. I hadn't said anything yet to my mom about what had happened, but it felt like for the first time I had gotten out of this environment that I felt so trapped in and I didn't care. I didn't care anymore about preserving the relationship with Jamie because Jamie had just done something shitty to me. And, um, it was, Obviously, you know, this is like a three-year buildup of just pent-up emotion and anger. And so, basically, um, as soon as we got home, Jamie's dad was calling, uh, calling my home phone. This is back when people had landlines, and he was calling my home phone constantly, um, just asking if he could talk to me to apologize. And, and I was just like, nope. I don't want to talk to this guy. And my mom didn't know why. Um, but but basically what he said is that he said to my mom that we, there had been a lot of roughhousing and it just got a little bit out of hand. And so he just wanted to apologize for not stepping in sooner. And I mean, at this point, this guy is in like full panic mode. Um, like, <laughs> because he knows that this is this is it. This is... This is the first time where I haven't wanted to go back over there. I ha I don't want to I haven't wanted to interact with him. I don't want to talk to him. He literally drove to our house and came up our steps and knocked on our door. And I saw him through the window. He didn't see me, but I saw him and I ran to my room. My mom came in and was like, "Hey, Jamie's dad's here. Do you want to talk to him?" And I was like, "No. No, I don't." Of course, my mom didn't know at the time. She, to her, it just looks like a parent, you know, trying to, you know, make it make rectify things. Um, so uh, she was just like, "He doesn't want to talk to you," and so he left. 
but he's desperately trying to get to me, talk to me, calm me down, whatever it was. So once that happens, my mom, um, we start having a conversation and I don't even know if I want to say something, but my mom's like, okay, like what, what's going on? Um, you know, like talk to me. And she, the only way that I was able to say something was because she asked me a series of questions um, that eventually led to like, you know, what, why I'm going to have to bleep that out because I just said his name. Why is Jamie's dad making you so mad? And I was like, I don't know. She was like, was it something that he did? And I was like, yes. She was like, well, what was it? And I was like, I don't know. And that went back and forth for a while. And then fortunately, my mom was like a big volunteer in my classes and things like that. And in one of my classes, we had, like I said earlier, learned the difference between a good touch and a bad touch. And she eventually asked me, did he do a bad touch? Like Miss Prothero, I think her name was, had said. And I was like, yes. So... That was the moment where I felt freed from, from it, from everything. I felt, even though I literally couldn't physically say to her what had happened because I was so embarrassed, as soon as I said something, as soon as I admitted, just told somebody about it, it felt like I remember feeling this like wave of happiness and relief rush over me and feeling like you know, just, um, safe, I guess. And I made my mom promise not to tell my dad because again, in my dumb child brain, I thought that my dad was going to try to fight the guy, even though that's literally the last thing my dad would ever do. It was just what I thought. And I thought that Jamie's dad would win, (laughs) but she obviously did tell him because it's not, you have to. Um, and they weren't exactly sure what to do. So they talked to an old friend of theirs who dealt with this stuff in the past. And she said, you know, you have to tell the police, you have to, you have to report it. So, um, we did. And basically what happens once somebody accuses somebody else of child molestation is, um, they get, uh, he got jailed for one night. He had like $50,000 bail, I think. And he posted bail. And, um, what was really weird about it, uh, and this speaks to, um, the fact that he, well, okay. So when I, when they finally, when they told the police, when my parents told the police, um, they, Jamie's dad was on vacation in like Argentina or somewhere with his wife and the police went to their house and raided their house. And Jamie was there. Jamie's little sister was there and Jamie's grandma was there. Um, cause she was taking care of the kids while the parents were gone. And so they, this got sprung on them. They didn't know. 
and they were contacted, I assume, by email or phone or somehow in Argentina, and they stayed. They finished their vacation. The police raided their house, were questioning everybody, and they stayed there for another, like, five days or something. And if this is happening and you didn't do it, you, you, leave, you go home. You know, you're, the police just raided your home. Your kids were there. You leave. But they stayed, which is weird. But anyway. So eventually they came back and the police arrested him. He went to jail for a day, posted bail. Um, and this is when we had to go to trial. So I didn't know any of this was going to happen when I told my mom. I didn't want any of this to happen. I just wanted to not go over there anymore. But this is the legality. This is something that you have to do. Um, so <laughs> the trial was bananas. Um, they hired, you know, one of the best attorneys um, in Washington State, which is where I'm from. Uh, and... Basically, you have to, they interview everyone. So myself, my family, Jamie, Jamie's whole family, all of our friends, anyone who's ever been over there basically gets involved and has to testify. And um, so there's, there's a number of things that happened in the trial that really point out how screwed up our court system is. First of all, Jamie's dad, one of my friends testified that he saw Jamie's dad come into the bedroom that we were all sleeping in on five different occasions. This is a friend. This is not Jamie. This is our mutual friend who's still to this day one of my best friends. A third-party child said that he saw this guy coming into the room on five different occasions. And Jamie's dad's defense was that he, uh, Jamie slept better when he was in the room, so he, that's why he slept in the room. What a wild coincidence. But Jamie slept over at my house plenty of times, and he never had an issue. So obviously that's just a made up defense ploy or whatever you want to call it. But that was, that was, uh, that was their defense in, in our, in our court system. It's just, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. So in truth, he could be just doing that because his kid sleeps better. And of course, Jamie was like, yes, I needed my dad. Cause Jamie, Jamie's, I, I don't blame Jamie at all for any, like, of course, he's going to say whatever he needs to say to, to protect his dad. It's his dad. Even if he did molest him, it's, that's, that's the hardest situation you could be in. Like, I can't even fathom that. But, uh, so Jamie uh, uh, admitted he sleeps better in the room. So that sort of voids that uh, point that my friend made, unfortunately. Um, another point that was made is that cabin that they had was really big. And there was a time when we went with like four families and we all stayed there and all the kids were sleeping in uh, like the living room area where they had set up these like little tiny individual beds. Um, and one of our friends' moms testified 
that she saw Jamie's dad sleeping underneath or like next to my bed, which was nowhere near Jamie. Jamie, I think was, there were four people, four kids sleeping there, I think. And I think Jamie was the, all the way on the end. And this guy was sleeping underneath my bed. She had just gotten up to go to the bathroom or something and had seen him. And he was asleep. You know, she didn't see him molesting me, but she saw him sleeping underneath my bed. So that was brought up in court. And uh, I think that they just sort of dismissed it under the same umbrella of Jamie sleeps better when his dad's there. So any rational person can look at those two instances and be like, all right, this is weird. Like this guy admits to sleeping in the room and this kid's saying he got molested. But anyway, so one thing I think I forgot to mention earlier was that I had actually told another friend of mine about the wiggle game. I told him about it and I made him promise not to tell anybody. I just, I remember this is again, I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know what to do. And I just really wanted to tell somebody about it. And so I had told my friend and this is before I think any of the molestation happened. It was, well, not the, I mean, it was molestation, but the real hardcore molestation hadn't happened yet. Um, but my friend being a good friend, hadn't told anybody, but when he was getting interviewed, uh, when he was called to the witness stand, um, he obviously told people about it then. And he talked about what I had told them, the wiggle game, everything that was going on. And during my pre trial interview where they have to interview everybody before you go on the stand, I didn't mention anything about the wiggle game. Um, And I literally, I didn't even remember it until I was on the stand. And my my examination was like four hours. Uh, And it was like towards the end, after I'd said all of this stuff, and the attorney says to me, he's like, Sebastian, like, does the wiggle game mean anything to you? And I remember like this, like, rush just down my body because it, it was literally memories coming back that I had suppressed that I I hadn't talked about it at, not even once I hadn't even brought it up at any point and I remember that my head went my head was spinning when he said that because it's a combination of all these memories coming back and also feeling like okay how did I not this is now this now looks like I didn't like I said this stuff but I left out other stuff. Like I felt like they had like, they were making me look like I was lying by omission. And I guess in my head, it was like, it was a mixture. It was suppressed memory, but also feeling like, does, is that really significant when I'm telling you all of this other stuff that's way worse? I don't know. There was a whole bunch of irrational child logic going on in my head, but I remember feeling okay if i say this now if i say oh yeah the wiggle game i forgot to mention that it looks like i'm lying it looks like i'm making it up and i so i just said no i don't i don't know what that is and uh unfortunately you know that i think was a big turning point in the case because now there's conflicting stories (laughs) but it's also like okay i forgot to talk about more of the child molestation that happened. Like, 
I don't know. It was, there was so much going on. And I just, at the time, I thought I made the right decision by saying I didn't know what that meant because I thought I would, it would look like I was lying. I really didn't want that to be the case. Um, but that's what this guy's job was. It's to poke holes in a child's argument. And those are the holes that they found. Um, like, I remember um, they were asking me about where Jamie's dad was when he was molesting me. And I was like, I, I said he was under the bed. Um, but they went to the house during that raid and like looked at the bed and it was like too, there wasn't enough space for him to fit under. And so they were like, like Sebastian, like, can't you see that there's no way that he could have fit under that bed base? They brought up like these fucking diagrams and the bed is only two feet, you know, whatever, or by this, or basically they were just like, there's no way that he could have fit under there. And in my head, I'm like, guys, like, I don't know if he was laying, it's not like I was looking over, you know, I was just laying with my eyes closed, pretending it wasn't happening. Like, couldn't he just as easily, he could have been kneeling next to the bed, he could have been laying down next to the bed. Like, you're getting, you're getting mixed up in these minute details that are detracting from the overall thing that was happening. And this is what defense attorneys do is they just provide a little bit of doubt. Even if it's totally irrelevant, like, if somebody rapes you, does it really matter if they raped you, you know, standing up or laying down? Like, it's, <laughs> you, you, their whole job is to create a little bit of doubt. And that's what this guy did. By showing that there were conflicting stories, my friend Tom, who was the guy who I told about what had happened with the Wiggle game, and then Beep saying, I don't know what that, I'm not sure what that is. Um, there were all of these tactics that, I mean, I was 10 when the trial was going on, maybe 10 and a half. And, you know, I was so flustered. Like, I remember, I mean, it was four hours, basically, of examination. <laughs> I think that's part of why I was able to do stand-up about it is because I talked about it for four hours without anybody laughing. And, oh my God, I remember... This is sort of scattered, jumping around, but I remember when I first walked into the courtroom, uh, Jamie's dad was there in the courtroom, and I hadn't seen him since that day where I left with my mom, and I remember my heart just started, like, viciously pounding. Like, why? Why? I know. Yeah, sure. Defendants have a right to see the person who's accusing them, but can we change that for children? Just hypothetically, if this guy did do it, which... Almost always, 100% of the time they did, especially in child cases. Can we not have them be in the room? What the fuck? Let them watch a video recording of it. That was terrifying. Literally, I thought he was going to jump across the courtroom and just stab me with a knife. It was so scary. And to be on top of that, having to recount, I mean... This is like an overview, right? I got into some of the details, but like, holy shit. I mean, I had to go through every single instance. And I didn't even remember most of them. I just remember the ones that were particularly traumatic. And I'm sure I suppressed a lot more instances. 
But I mean, I had to go through step by step um, what happened, how long it lasted for. I mean, it was a nightmare. And so after, uh, after I finished my testimony, um, this, is, this is where the Healy joke actually originated. Uh, my mom was there with two of her best friends and we like left and they, she had bought me a pair of Heelys. And, you know, of course, in my head, I wasn't actually like, you know what, these are totally worth it. But I remember skating around in my Heelys and being like, these are pretty cool. So I remember just feeling so happy and free and, you know, just, um, just like safe, I guess. I don't know. It was, it was such a relief to not, to know that I don't have to see him anymore. And to me, that I was it. That's all I wanted was just to not be over there. I didn't want to go around there anymore. And um, so all of my other friends testified. Um, and unfortunately, the verdict came out and he didn't get convicted. It was a hung jury, which means six people thought unequivocally that he did it and six people didn't. Um, so he was acquitted, which means that he couldn't, he can, we can try him again if we want. Um, and that was a thing that the prosecutor really wanted to do. She thought that if we retried him, that he would get convicted. But I remember my dad asking me, like, is this something that you want to do? And I was like, fuck no, dude. Like, I don't want and I don't want to do any of this ever. I just don't want to go over there anymore. All this court stuff, like, forget it. I don't, I don't ever want to do that again. Cause there's also, you can do civil trials, which is like, we did a criminal trial, which is like, you, you legally have to do that, but it's not for money or anything, but a civil trial you can do. And it's not, it doesn't take 12 jurors co to convict and you can sue for like X amount of money for, damages done, mental, whatever it is. Um, and so my dad asked me if I wanted to do that. And I was like, no, I don't want to do any of this. He wasn't like, like, yo, let's go get some money. He was just genuinely like, is this something you would want to do? And I was like, absolutely not. So uh, we didn't retry. Um, basically, the case just got dropped. And we did get a restraining order. And I remember my my parents and I had a conversation and they were asking me like you know do you want to move because you he's he doesn't he's going to be around and i was like no like my my whole life is here all of my friends everything i love it here and i don't want to move like why i just didn't want to move so we didn't um and so i would just kind of see this guy around Fortunately, Jamie and I were, again, a year apart, so we were in different grades, so we didn't see each other that often. We had a restraining order that lasted until I was 18, but a condition on the restraining order 
was that he was allowed to come to Jamie's soccer games, even if I was there. That was like the only condition. So sporting events that Jamie participates in, he's allowed to be there. Which didn't seem like a big deal at first until we got to high school and we were both on the same soccer team. And we were sick too. Like we we won state and uh, we... uh, Yeah, it's weird playing soccer in front of the guy who molested you. Like people get nervous playing in front of their parents. It was so weird. Uh, but I didn't give a shit. Like, it was... it was. I don't know. It was just... It was so strange. Such a strange thing all around. So he was just at our high school soccer games. And, you know... That was that was hard, but it was also. I st- I still was just really st- happy to not be dealing with it anymore, and to me, that's really all I ever wanted was just an out, relief from it. So, Jamie and I were on the same soccer team, which was an interesting experience. Um, he and I obviously hadn't talked since the trial, uh, or before the trial, basically since that day that I went home with my mom. And uh, we were, like, totally cordial. I mean, we weren't, like, chilling, really, but, like, we would say what's up, Um, which was awesome because that was one of my biggest things. I didn't want to lose my relationship with Jamie. And so there was a a moment my senior year because our team team would always get, like, super fucked up together. It was, like, a really close team. It was so fun. And there was a moment where we were having a party and it was actually at his place. His parents ended up getting divorced and it was his mom's place, his mom's new place. Uh, And we all went there. (laughs) Obviously, I wasn't going to go back to his dad's place. Um, But we we were all drinking there. And I remember it was like right before I went to college. And and he and I just had like a brief heart to heart that was just like, yo, dude, like it's really cool that despite everything that happened, we're able to hang out. And it was just like, yeah, I miss you. And, uh, so yes, so, um, that was a really cool moment. (laughs) And then actually recently, the last time I went home for Christmas, um, (laughs) he's still tight with a lot of my friends. And one of them in particular came over and was like, hey, dude, like, is it cool if Jamie comes over? And I was like, what? Yeah, great. Bring him over. And he came over and we all played Mario Kart and... Yeah, I don't know. It was just like a really, it was a really, it, it felt, it felt good because I know that if, if he thought I was lying, he wouldn't be hanging out with me, you know? 
if he thought I was making that up, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. And so that felt really good to know that he, at least I think he believed me or he, at least he didn't, he wasn't mad at me for it. So that was cool. <laughs> Which is part of why, you know, There's so many intricacies in molestation stuff, dealing with children. And, you know, I valued my relationship with Jamie more than I valued not getting molested for so long. It's like, I don't know. But this, uh, I mean, all of this, this is not uh, rare. You know, this is happening constantly. And I I know how much it's helped me talking about it. And I think, I hope that other people will feel more comfortable talking about it too. You know, just starting a conversation think is the hardest part admitting what's going on is the hardest part telling people so oh one other thing that I wanted to mention this is freaking crazy so a friend of mine who I met a number of years after the trial we were pretty close and it turns out that her dad was actually the head juror on the trial and the guy who stands up at the end and says we the jury find the defendant not guilty um and i found this out from my parents and i was like holy shit like i have got to talk to this guy i found out about it when i was telling my parents about what i was going to do with stand-up and so of course you know i had to get in touch with this guy because what better material than the people who thought that I was lying, you know? And so I reached out to him and I hadn't talked to him in a while, but he was always a cool dude. And I was like, Hey, you know, I'm starting to do stand up about what had happened. And I'd love to talk to you about what your experience was like on the jury. Um, and he was down, he was down to talk about it. And he said that basically the jury was like, there was one woman on the jury who didn't have kids and was just like, I know that he's innocent. And she seemed to convince other people. Um, but the reason I bring this up is because he ended up telling me that he got molested. And he'd never told anyone that before. And I think he's 65, something, something like that. Um, and that was a moment where I was like, all right, <laughs> like, this is so, this is so, this is such a, this is such a thing that like, that needs to be done. Like you gotta, we have to start talking about it because I mean, I don't, I don't think his wife knew. I don't think his daughter knew. Um, but he felt comfortable talking about it after I talked about it. So he said it only happened to him once and then he just never went over there again. And I was like, holy shit, wish I'd done that. But 
it was it was we ended up talking about it for a while and uh yeah it was it was cool that he felt like he could talk about it and yeah he gave me some solid bit material from the jury and yeah so it's everywhere i mean it's literally everywhere and we keep stigmatizing it keep making it this thing that shouldn't be talked about it's just gonna keep going on so yeah I think there were other things that I wanted to talk about I'm sure there are but if you made it this far I thank you I appreciate your time um, I hope this was helpful. I hope that, oh, just fucking, I don't even know, what, I don't even know what this, fuck it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Episode one. In the books. So this is what happened to me. And I hope it was helpful. And um, yeah, see you in the next one. Thanks for watching. If you like this video, give it a like, leave a comment, subscribe, whatever you want to do. Peace.